See, the first things have come to pass. All that I've spoken has come true. Before a new thing breaks from the bud, I declare it to you. And I, I looked that up in Isaiah. Let's take him from chapter 42, verse 8. He says, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not share my glory with another or my praise with idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare to you. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And what got me is that he seems to be tying his glory to this foretelling declaration. Somehow the enemy is prone to get more glory when things spring on us by surprise. But when God tells us of those things, even things intended by the devil for harm, God receives the glory. So he introduces it by saying, I'm not going to share or give my glory to another or my praise with idols. The former things have taken place and new things I now declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. And if we look about the former things, I think 2020 is a, a good time to uh, consider the former things. I have to ask, is there anything that happened? Is there anything that occurred that God did not equip us for? That God had not prepared us for? You think of every juncture along the way, every little fleeting moment of anxiety or panic or consideration of the future, and had, has God not been preparing us for it? I... I, I I hope that there are other people who are as prepared as we are. But what that makes me think is, okay, God, you designed to get some kind of glory out of this preparation wherewith you have equipped us. Are we giving you that glory? We, we saw it at the fair. We saw there was a different dynamic in, in the people who came to the seminars, in the questions that were asked. There, was, there were deeper questions. There were deeper longings. There were more bold considerations than I think we've ever seen at a fair. There were people who came and did nothing the entire fair except go from seminar to seminar to seminar, saying, I just have to hear the truth. I just have to hear the truth. When we say that the devil has suffered defeats, think of some of the ways that the enemy has taken a black eye in 2020. What First, let's name off some of his strong suits. If the devil has a kingdom, what are the bastions? What are the, the bulwarks of his kingdom? Would you agree that it's education? What has happened to education? The entire world has been made homeschoolers. <laughs> And they still can't get their act together. I mean, education is, is the devil's teaching ministry. And it is sitting flat on its bottom. And I pray it stays there. Now, how many Christians, sure, there are going to be plenty who say, Oh, no, I can't stand this. This is awful. We already know that. But there are going to be some 
There will be a remnant. Wives turning to husbands and husbands turning to wives saying, Honey, I think we can do this. We need to get help. We need to get the right course. But I feel like we can do this. I am scared to learn what Sally and John have been picking up from the school. And I think I should be their educator. I'm telling you, folks, this is something that nobody could have planned. If we had spent $5 million trying to sponsor homeschooling, we could not have opened as many minds as the Lord just opened with a big glorified cold named COVID-19. Amen? So education is one of His big strong suits. What's another one of His big strong suits? What is the mouthpiece of the false, of the false prophet? in addition to education? Media. media. When in our history has media been so suspect, so laughed at, so dismissed? When have so many people identified that as, a bellows, as the bellows of lies and division in a culture? There was a day where when 60 Minutes did a, a, a piece on the Amish, the Amish were decimated. Now, 60 minutes, they're just so much baloney. And even if you say it's on political lines, that's fine. Tens of millions of people are seeing through this garbage. What is the Lord doing? He is clearing rubble out of the way. He is creating a pathway in the desert. He is creating a landing spot for a new message and a new work and a new movement. And he's identifying these towers, these bulwarks of Satan, and he's bulldozing them through a virus. How many of you would agree that the number one obstacle preventing good Americans from entertaining radical Christianity as we see it, how many of you would agree that the number one obstacle is a certain brand of patriotism that they harbor? Amen? They cannot consider the kingdom of God because they are enthralled by the kingdoms of this world. It's what I spoke in that message, love is blind. They're blind to the times because they're in love with the world. But when in our lifetimes have we seen the political system come under greater scrutiny, suspicion, and distrust than right now? <laughs> I mean, if I were a foreign power wanting to uh, launch a coup d'etat, I couldn't think of a better moment in American history in about 150 years than right now. So if the King of Kings is wanting to recapture the hearts of his exiled bride, maybe now is a great time. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? The political system is at a... The trust in the political system has ebbed to a historic low. The devil loves dependence. He loves for God's people to become inextricably dependent on the systems that he set up designed to collapse in an hour. <laughs> but what has this done in the positive? What have these food shortages created that we saw in the beginning of the year? What have those food shortages, what have they done to serious Christians? What questions have they raised in their heads? For sure, an awareness of their dependence. An awareness of their dependence. Do you think that COVID Americans, 
COVID-era Americans are more or less interested in growing their own food. I mean, it's like independence all around. Gandhi couldn't have generated this much independence. <laughs> My mom told me about a book that she's reading where a guy is, is I can't remember the exact name of the, the book. It may come back to Live Not By Lies, I believe is the name of the book. And he's just written it in 2020. And he's telling people, telling Christians, he's a Christian writing to Christians, and he's saying, you need to, you need to uh, find small groups of people, communities, where you can read and study together, you can learn together, you can support each other. And he's, he's basically saying, he's basically uh, supporting, promoting a certain kind of community in the face of the dysfunction that we see on a broad level, social dysfunction. Interest in home birth has been growing over the past decade or so, but over 2020 it's taken an enormous leap both in occurrence, in interest, across the board. Can you all think of any other distinctive aspects of us that we haven't mentioned? Because <laughs> if I didn't know better, I would think the Lord was on our side. I would think the Lord was preparing the way for something pretty exciting. And I, I look at some of what God has done in our midst individually and, and, and as a fellowship. And I know I felt the Holy Spirit so strong when I ministered at the Sunday on the Sunday patio about unity and how the devil hates unity. Amen. And, <clears throat> you know... It's hard to quantify or to describe unity in, in any novel or imaginative manner. But in short, you could say that unity is the product of seeking the interest of another. And disunity is the product of seeking one's own interest. Whether it is using the church as the ground or the platform to seek one's own interest, as the vehicle for one's ambition, or not, disunity is the fruit of seeking one's own will and interest. And unity is the product of people seeking God's will. And it's hard, it's hard to say whether you're seeking God's will or my will because we all are understandably and legitimately concerned for our souls, right? For our purpose in God. Would you agree? Yes. Who here is not anxious for his soul's salvation? Jesus prayed with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save his soul. So all of us should be concerned for our soul, right? And who here is not anxious to be a profitable steward? and to invest the talents that God has given to you and to be fruitful and purposeful for the sake of the kingdom, right? So these two things are always there. And how do I keep that from becoming selfish ambition? And how do I know that's not selfish ambition? Do you understand? If I'm concerned for my soul, am I selfishly ambitious? If I'm determined to be useful, and to be a, a, a faithful steward over the talents he's, in, he's given to me, am I self-centered? It can get a little fuzzy, can't it? Amen. 
Because the, the lines can become blurry. We can start off with one agenda and slip or slide into another. How do I know that I'm seeking the will of another? Amen. How did Jesus know that He was seeking God's will? What does He say in, is it in John 8? You will know that my judgment is just and that I do nothing of my own initiative when, when you lift up the Son of Man. The foolproof that you, the foolproof certainty, the foolproof guarantee that you're not selfishly ambitious is if you're being lifted up. <laughs> well, that's a kind of an ambiguous way of saying it, isn't it? <laughs> if you're being crucified. If something is dying in you, <laughs> then you know you're not seeking your own will, but the will of Him who sent you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And it seemed to be a seminal, pivotal point there with the, with the followers, with the listeners of Jesus, because they didn't seem to trust Him. They seemed to have some doubts about whose will He was seeking. Or else he, the, the statement is meaningless. Would you agree? So He's kind of saying, I'm going to prove something to you. You will know that I do nothing of my own will. That, I do not, that my judgment is just and I do nothing of my own initiative when you lift up the Son of Man. Amen. So, so in this effort to pursue God's will while at the same time remaining useful, purposeful, and saved, we've got to stay focused on sacrifice. And sacrifice does not just mean hard work. It actually means dying. Hard work is a sacrifice, but that does not capture the essence of the cross. <laughs> you would not have looked at the cross and said, my, what hard work. Would you agree with that? You would have said, oh, what humiliation. Oh, what pain. Oh, God, he's dead. So, Death is the essence of sacrifice. Someone can do hard work, but remain alive. And even do the hard work in order to remain alive. Do you understand? In order to make a good showing that they are absolved of any obligations, they've done their part. Don't take the pressure off of me because look what I've done. But God's not interested in what we've done. He's interested in whether we're dead and whether He's living in our place. I was talking to somebody this week and I was telling them how Peter's, excuse me, Paul's rebuke of hypocrisy in the Galatian church, I believe it was hypocrisy coming from the apostle Peter. He rebuked him by saying, these desire to make a good showing in the flesh. Now, this is the Apostle Peter. These are some pretty good people. This is James. This is Barnabas. These are mighty men of God. 
and they fell into hypocrisy, lost unity, and perverted their ambition for Christ's will into an ambition for their own sake because they desired to make a good showing in the flesh. Now I want to just say, I think everybody in this room desires to make a good showing in the flesh. I believe that's a battle for everyone in this room and everyone who can hear me out there. It's a battle. It's who we are. But when our determination to make a good showing in the flesh becomes paramount in our concern, we are betraying our first priority, which is to glorify and do the will of Him who sent us and to finish His work. This desire to make a good showing in the flesh is rooted in a belief that I am better than people realize. And I need to persuade them. I need to convince them. I need to enlighten them. So here, let me show you how I do things. Do you follow me? Whereas the, the flip side, the correct side, recognizes that our approval and our praise does not come from man, but from God. And even when it comes through man, it must still come from God. Do you understand? So God can speak through people to say to us, well done, that's it, thank you, amen? It's not that people can't be His vessels for, for expressing approval. In fact, I believe that's paramount. I've said several times this year how every time Jesus' dad talked to Him from heaven, He basically said, that's my boy and I'm happy with Him. And that tells us that the King of kings and Lord of lords and only sinless man needed fatherly approval. He needed feedback from his father to say, you're doing it. Stick with it. Amen? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Thank you, Jesus. We need that. I'm not trying to say that we don't need that. We do need that. But that is not a self-centered thing. That is a God-centered thing. That is a father-centered thing. I'm not trying to, to be acceptable in my own eyes or in the eyes of the disciples or in the eyes of those under me. I'm trying to be acceptable in God's eyes. Amen? Now we know that Jesus' Father, God, spoke from heaven. But Paul said he was a father to the Corinthians, did he not? As a father, he said he was a father to the Thessalonians, to the Galatians. So this fatherhood which spoke from heaven must have also spoke from Paul. Amen? When he said, do not be weary in well-doing, for you will reap if you do not lose heart. And when he said, your labor and love is not in vain, he was speaking from earth, but God was speaking, the Father was speaking, saying, stick with it. We're on the right course here. Timothy, my beloved son, he encouraged them, he supported them, and it's important to get that. Thank you, Jesus. In fact, this kind of approval of God through the relationships He's given us, it's absolutely essential. I shared with the young people recently Paul's exhortation to Timothy about the civilian affairs versus 
in comparison to the soldier lifestyle. And how does he say that? How does, how does that go? He says, do not be entangled in civilian affairs. He says, for a soldier seeks to know how he might please the one who enlisted him. Hmm? But a civilian tries to figure out how to please himself. Amen? So there we have the contrast of whether this has become about me creating division or whether this has become about a transcendent pleasure feeding into unity. <laughs> Do you see this? So who was Timothy's enlisting officer? It was the Apostle Paul. So he's basically saying, Timothy, stay focused. <laughs> you have a course to run. You have a task to complete. He exhorts him. He tells him exactly how he should conduct himself in the household of God. And then in a less than overt manner, he says, you need to stay focused on measuring up and being acceptable to the enlisting officer, which Paul happened to be. So you say, well, was, was Paul recommending Timothy become a man pleaser? I think not. Amen. He said, if I were still trying to please men, I would not be the servant of God to the Galatians. He's not wanting Timothy to become a man pleaser, but he's not either wanting Timothy to become deluded where he starts trying to prove something to Paul. I think the biggest stumbling block, the biggest tar pit where ministries stall is when they start trying to prove something to those over them instead of come into that organic relationship whereby they receive the pattern, which is what the root of pater, father, is. They receive and duplicate the pattern in a manner that is acceptable to the one who enlisted them. Amen. Do you understand? Amen. This is how the devil tries to get us off track. And when, this, when he succeeds in this, he who, he who isolates or separates himself seeks his own desire and rages against wise judgment. When we separate ourselves, when we isolate ourselves, we're going to have, we're going to rage, we're going to get mad about the wise counsel or judgment of God. It's inevitable. It's remarkable though, isn't it? The worst thing that can happen is for us to start to take ourselves too seriously. In Paul's words, to have a bloated or inflated view of self and to start to take ourselves too seriously. When we take ourselves too seriously, we're afraid to take a risk because there's something precious in me that I don't want to crack or damage. When we take ourselves too seriously, we're cautious about spilling our hearts for our brothers and sisters and for the sake of those we're trying to love and help. Amen? Because maybe they'll see through me. Maybe they won't agree. We take ourselves too seriously. We act as if we're a completed thing, we're a good thing, and we just need to convert others to that same revelation. Well, this is the very definition of conceit. We've got to start by saying, God, I know I am not up to the task. But I will not let my inadequacies be a hindrance to your glory. Amen. Amen? 
I refuse to shackle your purpose to my weakness because I believe that through my weakness, your power has an opportunity to shine and to show itself. Amen? Amen. Everything I know, God, about the Holy Spirit, about grace, everything I know about your power in my life says, you don't need my excellence, you just need my compliance, my willingness. Thank you, Jesus. And so many of us do that. We shackle it. We shackle God's purpose to our, to our fears, to our inabilities, to our weaknesses. Paul asked himself or asked himself in front of all of us, who is equal to the task? You know, who is adequate to such a ministry? But then he answered it as we've ministered. I thank God through Jesus Christ. He has made us adequate, not as letters, the ministry of the letter which kills, but of the spirit that gives life. In 2021, we don't need to prove anything to anybody. Nothing is an occasion to prove anything about ourselves. We just need to get the message and fulfill it with all our might. And God will get the glory. Amen. Amen. We just need to get the pattern and reproduce it with all our might wherever he plants us. We need to prove to Paul that we can do it Paul's way. And having done so, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is not a works-driven mentality. This is a grace and relationship-driven mentality. The evangelical church will talk about positional righteousness versus righteousness by works. We should talk about relational righteousness. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know if it was you that spoke earlier, maybe last year, but in, in, in Matthew 7, the whole dichotomy of rejection pivots around a question of how people viewed their behavior. They thought they were going to be justified by what they did, but they were rejected by the lack of relationship in their lives. So they pointed to God and said, we did, we did, we did. But God pointed back to them and said, we lost relationship. We lost contact. And I'm telling you, I know from firsthand experience, there is something inside of every one of us. There's a little panicked prover inside of every one of us. There's a little water-treading, panicked prover just paddling his way to success. And he's really sinking all the while. <laughs> there was something inside of me that was scared. I wanted to, if I was embarking on something risky, I wanted to finish it before those over me knew about it because I knew it was risky. And I wanted to show, see what I did? Because I felt like they had a deficient understanding of who I was. But that was a lie. They didn't have a deficient understanding of who I was. They knew who I was. But I had a deficient trust in the relationship which God had ordained. And so those successes would backfire on me. <laughs> Do you understand? Those hard works and successes would blow up in my face. And I would have thought, man, I'm glad I got this across the finish line before anybody noticed the otherwise. And then it would blow up in my face and I'd be like, what? 
Because God's not interested in what we can do without Him. That just looks like the Tower of Babel with a Christian veneer. He says, if they put their minds to it, nothing they attempt will be impossible for them. But He doesn't want to be impressed by what we can do without Him. He looks for dependence. And He anoints dependence. Do you understand that? On this one will I look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That's what Paul was doing when he said, My teaching and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Meaning God was looking on Paul. And when God looks, in Hebrew, His presence is conveyed. His face is a shining light. And when He looks at you, glory falls on you. Amen. So God's not interested in what we can do alone. He's dismayed by it. And He confuses what we can do alone. He confuses exploits of independent expertise. He talks in heaven about the independent and says, let us go down and mess it up. I don't ever want the Lord to say that about what I'm working on. <laughs> Let us go down and flip it all upside down and backwards and see if they will turn to heaven and start the relationship that was broken off in the garden because that's all I really care about. The devil wants to get us focused on the what and God wants to keep us focused on the who. I told somebody this week, I said, you need to think of your brain as a CPU, as a computer motherboard. And that motherboard computer is full of capacities. They say that the average computer, only 2% of it is utilized by the average user. And the motherboard of your gifts, your talents, your experiences, it is capacious. It's amazing. And you know that those gifts inside of you came from God. There's a certain wherewithal, aptitude, facility that comes on you when you're in your realm. You're in your element and you're doing what you were made to do. When you watch Zane leaping over a building or directing a construction site, you just know he's in his element. Now I'm going to stop there. <laughs> and in a sense, in a sense, when you watch Andrew and he's on the piano and he turns to someone playing the guitar and says, B, and he sharpens it and the tune and the and the, the string is in tune, I'm amazed. I don't get that. When you watch Daniel and he's got paints all over the place and an easel on the board and, and he's just got that enthrallment and he's putting that picture together, he's in his element. Now all of these things that I've just named are God-given talents. And as such, there's a certain aptitude, facility, you might even say anointing. 
Do you understand? You were made to do it. You've got it. It comes naturally. It comes with facility. And yet all these things that I just named can be done by people without a relationship with God. Do you understand? And even when you start to overlap into spiritual gifts, you, you can get into a certain realm. I'm called to be a communicator. That's what I was made to do. I was made to explain things and watch the lights go on in eyes. It enthralls me. I'm in my element when I'm doing it. But I could teach the truth or I could teach a lie. I could teach for the glory of God or I could teach for the glory of man. I could lead astray or I could lead on the narrow path that leads to life. Do you understand? So there, I come back to this idea that you should think of your gifts, your mind, your talents, your experiences. It's like a computer. And the danger is who you give that password to. To log in to your gifts. To log in to your mental capacities and start using your system to process their agenda. Many people leave their hearts and minds unpassword protected. <laughs> and Satan comes along and wheels up to their counter and clicks the mouse and he's looking to hack your hat password, but you don't even have one on there. And so he logs right in and starts using your brain to solve his problems. Just as surely as Paul says of Christ, the head cannot say to the hands, I have no need of you. And that indicates that Jesus in heaven needs a body on earth in order to fulfill his kingdom. I also believe that Satan needs people. I believe the devil is dependent on people. Do you understand? He is a spiritual energy. He is an impetus. He is a wicked kind of anointing. He is an instigation and a temptation. But he needs you to materialize and actuate his will in the world around you. And when he logs into your emotions and taps into the motherboard of your brain and starts processing his notions, he can make you the unwitting instrument and tool of his sinister agenda. And half the time, the battles that we face, whether as leaders or as Christians in any capacity, the battles that we face are simply that we have left our computer unprotected and the devil has logged in and started using our mental CPU to solve his problems. <clears throat> what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you feel like your mind is going somewhere and your heart is being led astray and you're being caught up in these suspicions and these distrusts and these fears and these questions and blah, 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 blah. And you're saying, I don't know where this came from. What do you do? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You do a forced logout of all users and you lock it down. 
And you say, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Amen. Guard my thoughts. Thank you, Jesus. Protect my feelings, God. From, from the heart come the issue of, li issue of life, the issues of life. Don't let me become the, the tool of the devil. You need to tap back into the Spirit. You need to go back to the place how you felt when God had access to your CPU and He was solving problems. That's what's happening right now. Amen? As we tune into the Word of God, lights are going on and solutions are coming and ideas are sparking. And that's what happens when you're praying. Amen? And that's what we've got to do. We, this, is, this is a war. This is a battle. And it's not just a battle for the great things that are going to happen out there in terms of new churches. It's a battle right here in every heart and mind individually. Amen. And until we win it right here in ourselves, we have no chance of being unified enough to win anything out there. Amen. And so when God, when God commissions us and gives us an agenda, gives us a purpose, you have limited RAM in your computer. Everybody know what RAM is? What, what's RAM? Random access memory. Why did you know that? Random access memory. So it's the power of your computer to process what? Simultaneously. <clears throat> okay, so if I've got a pretty robust computer and I open Photoshop and start running something and then I open Pro Tools and start running something and then I go over and open um, you know, Acrobat and start running something and I open Audacity and start running something and I can open enough things that what happens to my computer? My CPU grinds right down. You say, oh, that's very cute, Aussie, but we are made in the image of God and we have unlimited grace. We have unlimited resources. Huh? How many of you have ever pressed Command-Tab and started pressing Command-Q to shut down all the windows except the one that you had to have open and had to be working? Raise your hand. Amen. You don't have unlimited grace. I said this recently, but I'm saying it again. You don't have unlimited time. You don't have unlimited anointing. You don't have unlimited love. You don't have unlimited anything. You are a steward of the portion of grace which God has given to you according, and I quote, to the measure of Christ's gift. Only Jesus is given the Holy Spirit without measure, according to John. Amen? We have a bit. But if you start processing 10 things simultaneously, and you start trying to simultaneously advance many different agendas, many different fronts, what's going to happen is everything's going to grind you a halt. And you may make progress, but it is at a tediously agonizing pace. You need to say, God, what have you called me to? What is the priority in my life? I'm command queuing everything else. Command queue kills it. Kill the operation. We need to start into this next year and say, Lord, what is step one for me? What am I supposed to accomplish? I'm going to do it. And I'll give myself no rest until it is accomplished. And I'm going to command cue every other distraction. And it's quite possible I'm not talking about just a, an activity or a work. I'm talking about a relationship. I'm talking about an attitude of heart. I'm talking about a depth in the spirit. 
Do you understand? I don't know what I'm talking about. God will have to show that to you. Thank you, Jesus. Sister Patty Russell gave us this song by the Imperials, and it spoke to me. Pieces of promises, parts of a prayer, no real commitment to stay or to care, partly believing and partly in doubt, not quite in the kingdom and not really out. Tied to your word, Lord, just by a thread, the need in my heart and the world in my head. So long in confusion that I couldn't see, full-time, not part-time, it's you that I need. So Lord, come on in, because I want to start it all again. From this day on, my life's an open door. I won't be your part-time servant anymore. I've stayed on the fences, Lord, lingering still, just on the edge of my world, of my world and your will. But now for the first time, I know what to do. I'm ready. I'm coming full time to you. So Lord, come on in, because I want to start it all again. From this day on, my life's an open door. I won't be your part-time servant anymore. <sighs> Guys, <laughs> if we could get this <laughs> and focus in and say, God, what is it that you want me to conquer? What is it that you want me to do? I'm going to do it with all my heart. And I'm not going to give up until I have victory. Amen. And we didn't let the Satan have access to our CPU, nor even ourselves to open so many windows. The ram got bogged down. The ram of grace and anointing and time got bogged down. Amen. But if we knew His will, understand, as it says in Ephesians 5, 17, understand what the will of the Lord is. If we knew it and gave ourselves fully to it, amen, we would see the needle start to move. I remember having a conversation with somebody a couple years ago. And this is somebody who has a, a gift and a calling from God. And I remember talking to them and they were struggling, understandably so, about... I've got this longing, I've got this desire, I've got this burden, I believe I've got a gift, but I don't know how to give birth to it. I don't know how. I feel like there's no opportunity. I feel like I'm held back. And instantly I could identify with them. Instantly I could know exactly what they felt. And I could feel all the times in my life where I was tempted to believe that the holdup and the barrier and the hindrance was why I wasn't breaking through. When in truth, the holdup and the barrier just represented the eye of the needle so that naught but God's child could break through. Do you understand? God has a place that only His child by grace can fit through. Nothing else will get through. And the more impossible it is, that, that doesn't reflect at all on God's will for your life. It just reflects on how much baggage He's wanting to divest you of. Do you understand? And I remember, I remember telling this, this brother, and I felt the Holy Ghost so strong. I told him, 
the very thing that feels like is pulling you back, holding you back. Oh, it's hard. Ugh. That is God stringing his bow and wrenching it back to fill it with power and energy so that when it is ready, it can fly with anointed force. And God spoke to me. I had forgotten that. And God spoke to me a week ago. And he said, for all those who feel like 2020 has been a holdup and a pullback and a setback, that's just me pulling my bow back. A man does not pull a bow back because he is done with it or because he's given up on the hunt. The bow is slack until the prey is in sight, until the victory is at hand. And then he pulls it back in order to fill it with energy that it utterly lacks while being slack. Do you understand? 2020 is God pulling the bow back. 2021 is the arrow shooting forward into the purpose, hitting the mark. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thought I was in one place and it seems like you've pulled me back. Lord, I thought I was something and it seems like you've pulled me back. Lord, I thought I had started to gain ground and here I go in reverse. Don't you see, Lord? The target is over that direction and you're pulling me in the opposite direction. What's happening, God? I am filling this bow with power. Amen. And I am putting my purpose in it. He says in Zechariah, the ninth chapter. How does it go here? He says, As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. And this is the part. Even now I announce that I will return double for everything you've lost. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow. And I will put Ephraim or fill the bow with Ephraim. And I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, God is declaring a promise to us. Whatever it feels we've lost, He's going to restore it double. And He is bending us as His bow. He has pulled us back and He is stringing His purpose now into us so that all this pent-up energy of a pulled-back people can spring toward the target of God's high calling. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Isaiah 49 says, He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He has concealed me. God, why don't I come forward? 
Why don't I find my place? He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He has concealed me. And He has also made me like a sharpened arrow. And He has hidden me in His quiver. He has said to me, You are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. If you'll trust God and not be dismayed, and not let your purpose be hijacked by your ambition. If you'll do it His way and not try to prove to Him that you've got it all under control. Though He hides you, you're hidden under His hand. Though you seem obscure and out of sight, you're a sharpened arrow in His quiver. And the Lord is going to battle. Amen? Though it feels He's pulling you back, He's filling you with power. Because a slack string is useless to God, but a taut string can kill a lion. Amen. Amen. This is our time. Amen. This is our year. I relish the beginning of 2021. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 2020 didn't win. Jesus won. Amen. Amen. Are we pleasing the one who enlisted us? Or are we trying to prove something about ourselves? Are we... Showing what we can do without Him? Or are we only busying ourselves with those things that include Him? And the Him is not just Him in heaven, but Him through each other. Then your kingdom come, your will be.